You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he's the quicker picker-upper. It's Jeff McLodge-Huge. I am multiple ply. What's going on? How are you? I'm all right. You know, what? give me an update on, like, what are you doing for projects right now? You still, you working on a big wall size picture still? I am still working on my mural downstairs. I'm just about completely outlined everything, which took a lot longer than I thought it was going to take. Uh, and then I've, I've actually been doing like live, you know, live videos while I do it. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Well, one, because I think anyway, that the unfolding of art, you know, from start to start to end is kind of interesting. And two, it's kind of winding down now, hopefully. But like, you know, we've all been locked in our houses, right. you know, more or less for the past year and a half. That's the way we communicate now, like with our friends, like, you know, digitally and yeah. stuff like that. So I open up the live video to for some of my friends to watch and then I could talk to my friends a little bit, you know. What platform do you do that on? Uh, usually just Facebook. Oh, okay. Usually Facebook Live, yeah. I'm try- See, I'm trying to get you to, to like, invite our, our varied listeners uh, here at Twibley to check you out while you're drawing. Yeah, all four of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. I, think, I know I, there's at least five. I, I think the majority of our it. listeners aren't watching. So. <laughs> uh, the, the majority of our listeners are doing the show right now. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So uh, the thing is, like, whenever I'm doing the outline, it doesn't really transfer all that well to video. Like, you can't see the lines. Yeah, so yeah. somebody I work with, I guess their wife was watching me, and he goes, what the hell are you doing? You got like an hour's worth of video of you just like staring at a wall. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm contemplating. That's what art is. Go away. You don't get art, man. You don't, you don't get, get it. Uh, sounds like you, what you need is a GoPro, right? Put a GoPro on your chest so they can yeah. see your hands doing the stuff. Oh, and then like a GoPro, like as a ring. <laughs> as a ring, yeah. a pencil, pencil cam. Yeah. With Bill. So yeah, when the mural's done, it's gonna be like, I'm gonna actually gonna start painting probably next week or mm-hmm. in real time timelines nine weeks ago. What do you got? What are you working on? What um you know, I'm you know me, I go from project to project to project and never finish anything. But you know, still working on some short stories. I started a, a short story sort of end up in a contest with my son I don't know, a couple months back based on our viewing of Kong versus Godzilla. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was pretty fun. He's taken to typing on a manual typewriter, which I think is pretty cool. And uh, so I'm sort of helping him get some writing together using that archaic piece of technology. And I've been doing a lot of reading and sort of writing up some reviews of books that I've enjoyed to stick on my Tumblr page and nothing special. But my creative stuff is that. Your second batch of sourdough should just be be just about ready now. My I, I took my sourdough and I put that in a special container and then i threw it away 
to to go and poison a landfill with yeah, I, I started to worry about that stuff when it I started moving around when I was looking at it in the fridge and I was like, Yep, yep, you're going to the trash before you I've seen the movies. I know what happens next. So yeah, uh, no more sourdough for me. Uh, although I know Did you end up end up making one? Like did you ever succeed at that? Yes, I did. I actually achieved success with that experiment in that I made a couple of loaves of bread using only natural yeast from the air or my hands, or both, right. um, where the only ingredients were water, salt, and ground flour, stone ground flour. It takes a long time. Yeah, the bread tastes really good when it's done. Yeah, it tastes like it takes like a week, doesn't it? It takes a long time for it to rise because it has such a small amount of yeast in it. But in during that fermentation process, it makes it taste good. It makes it taste different. So it, I did it to see if I could do it. I did it, and I'm done with it. I went back to making regular bread using like you know dried yeast or, or rapid-rise yeast or whatever. You know, I can bang out a couple of loaves of bread in like three hours as opposed to two weeks. I, I was looking up like I was almost tempted to try it. And then I was like, this seems like something I'm going to forget about and regret. So yeah, making the starter was a pain in the neck. Uh, that takes you have to keep messing around with it. But if you just make the dough one time and just let it sit around and rise for a while, it, you can make it happen. All right, but that's enough of that chit-chat. We're going to get into the show proper. But before we get to the show, I got my award-winning and very popular, always well-received trivia question. All right, so on the periodic table of elements, there is one letter that is not represented. What is that letter? Uh, uh, It's not like a Greek letter or some like... something with a diacritical mark over the top of it or some like rock dots or anything it's just regular one of the 26 right english as a matter of fact i'll give i'll give you a small hint it's one of the newer letters that that doesn't help (laughs) that doesn't help me at all i told you it was a very small hint it's a that's not even a hint that's like a secondary trivia question like now i gotta think about the age of the letters all right well uh we'll we get to the end of the show um we'll we'll see siri quick show me the periodic table of the elements um Yes, uh, at the end of the, the end of the show, I'll, I'll give you my masterful guess, which will be wrong. All right. So this is the week beginning, July the 12th, and I believe it is your turn to start. It is indeed. July 12th, 1979. At the end of the popularity of disco as a fad or music style fad, an event called the Disco Demolition Night was held at Comiskey Park in Chicago where the Chicago White Sox and the Detroit Lions were playing a doubleheader. Uh-huh. In the interim between both games, local radio station did a let's blow up a dumpster full of disco records promotion, which caused a giant riot. <laughs> <laughs> so fans like ran out on the field and were flinging records at one another and fist fighting with the police. And the second game got canceled in a load of people got arrested and it tarnished well tarnished radio stations uh call letters i'm not going to use them here because why would we want to bring up those things but caused all kinds of strife both for major league baseball and for disco ultimately and it's like i don't know it's one of those like it's funny it's funny looking at it in retrospect and it's really funny to go watch the videos of the two sportscasters who are like calling the game and they're like people are running on the field they are fist fighting <laughs> With the Chicago PD, oh my goodness, he slid into first. And burn, baby, burn, a, disco inferno. <laughs> Those disco records are flying as ash now. It's up, 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 and over the back wall. Uh, you know, it's actually come. It's come out more recently that the disco backlash wasn't based on the fact that disco was like bad music. It was, right. you know, it was kind of like an oversaturation. 
I mean, yep. let's face it, even Kiss was doing disco at that point. But Right, I mean... But it was primarily a backlash because the majority of disco albums and disco fans, it was catering to more of a black and gay audience. And we can't have any of that. So that's why a lot of the, the backlash, you know, happened. I think it's easy to, to stoke hatred for something that's popular just by virtue of being able to... to you know, say like, come outsiders, join me in this quest against whatever this popular thing is that even your mother likes now. <laughs> I mean, she's got that Gloria Gaynor record playing two times a day at least, you know? And people, when they're powered that way, can sometimes do incredibly stupid things. Like, it's not so much like, you know, f- was five cent beer night <laughs> or 10 cent beer night, although this is a, a definitely a say in the same family reunion as 10 cent beer night. But to build an event, what you're doing is you're, you're stoking all this negative energy. This is what you end up having, having happen. Right, right. You know, and I feel bad. Like the after effects of this was like, now I'm going to tell you right now, I have never stopped loving the music of Casey and the Sunshine Band since I was a little kid. Is that this event like chased Casey into alcoholism and and it took him off the road and and it took him years to come back. Oh, sure. Yeah. And go back and tour again because he was like, well, I just just want to make people happy. I just want people to dance and have fun. Why are they burning my (laughs) effigy of me in the middle of Comiskey Park? Oh, my God. You know? And it was terrible, and it's it's one of those things. It's it's funny, but it's like, ah, oh, jeez, if we can get people just riled up over boots and hats and boots and hats and beat music, yeah. like, what the hell else can we get them pissed off? All over? right, seriously, think about any other popular music genre. There's never been this kind of backlash to the point where they're like burning down a baseball stadium. <laughs> I, I will say that I was considering starting a Death to the Frozen soundtrack night at our local baseball stadium. That's for foreshadowing, a while, but, kids. <laughs> but my, but my children seem to have outgrown that movie mostly. Uh, um, we'll touch upon that later. Hey, instead of bad music, what about great music? I'm all for that. July the 13th, 1985 is a day that's like a big red letter day on my uh, on my calendar. It's probably the <laughs> the last time I had any real faith in humanity. Uh, July 13th, 1985 was the day of the Live Aid concerts. Oh, uh, I remember that. Yeah, put on by uh, by Bob Geldof from the the Boomtown Rats who had you know, uh, just the year before, it put out the Do They Know It's Christmas single that raised all sorts of money for you know, the starving uh, children. Famine, in famine in Africa, yeah. So they had two concerts. One was in the UK and the other was in, I believe it was in Philadelphia. I know it was in Pennsylvania, but I believe it was in Philadelphia. Yeah, it went all day long and I watched most of it. I think a lot of Gen, Gen X people watch most of it. Uh, stereo simulcast, too. So I remember having it on my TV with the volume off and playing through my stereo on, like, WHJY. Right, yeah. It was on, on M- my stereo. Yeah, it was on MTV yeah. and it was on the radio, yeah. It was yep. huge. It was a huge event. It was, I mean, yeah. everybody romanticizes about Woodstock 1969, but Live Aid was way bigger. Well, there was no Us Festival, Bill. <laughs> Or the Us Festival? Yep. I don't remember the Us I Festival. I do, because um, the Ramones But no, I, I remember that. I remember it because, it, again, the, the lineup of, of artists in this were all most all bands that I knew from MTV. Right. Huge bands. There was a, a, Led, a Led Zeppelin reunion that day. Yeah. But they, right. they, was, they actually played so poorly that you can't even find video or, right. or audio of it. Right, right, right. Most of the Live Aid music is available on Spotify. I listen. I actually go back and listen to it, uh, you know, from time to time. Yeah, the famous scene from the very popular Queen. 
biopic yes. there, Bohemian yep. Rhapsody. You know, that happened at Live Aid. I remember seeing that. Yeah, I remember that. When well, it happened, I remember yeah. that. Yep. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, amazing. My friends and I, we spent the day watching it. Like in the morning, we all watched, you know, from our respective houses. Yeah. Then a bunch of us came over here and we watched some stuff over here at my house. It was me, that dude Craig I mentioned from time to time. Right. And Mark Lopes, who is Oh, I remember him. Yeah, he's like he's like the singer in Ross the Boss now. He's like always touring. Like I like I think this summer he's gonna be in the Ukraine. Yeah, he did pretty well for himself. But yeah, he sang out with him when I was a teenager. So yeah, we watched wow. a bunch of stuff over at his house. I remember seeing Judas Priest over at his house, and then over to Craig's house at night to watch the remainder. But yeah, we watched the most of it. And that was so '85 was like the second or third year my parents had the restaurant, and I remember listening to some of it in the car as I was off doing I don't know errands with my mom. Yep. But it was the rare Saturday where we were all home, and my dad and the like the restaurant was off on its own thing, and we had it on literally all day long it was great yeah one thing that like sticks out in my mind is adam ant and i was a huge adam ant fan always have been yep. and adam ant was not the first performer i think he was the second performer but he was going on real early and and in the uk so it was like six o'clock seven o'clock <laughs> in the morning yeah and yeah. i had to pass my papers i was a paper boy at the time so right. i tore ass through the whole neighborhood trying to get home in time to see Adam Ant and don't you know I missed it and then I didn't find out until probably about three or four years ago and eh, maybe a little bit more but whatever the reason why I missed it is he only did one song yeah well yeah that was and that's the thing with these giant festival shows right no band does more than like three songs, yeah. Three or four songs, and then they're like, "All right, out." And you spend more time watching people move equipment than you than you watch bands playing anything. Right. Everybody did super super short sets. Phil Collins played at the UK show and then jumped on a Concord to be the big show off that he is, and flew right. to America and played at the America show. He played both. Yeah, that's that's right. And that was like that was just as he was getting to the peak. He was if you forget how popular he was. Right. He was stupendously popular at the time. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, because he was still in Genesis. Who were he was still in Genesis? Who were very big. Yeah. He was touring on his own. He was in TV shows and he was in a couple of movies too. Right. Yeah. All in that same like eighty-five to eighty-seven year. That dude must have been exhausted. Oh. Yep. And he was. I think he was still drumming on other people's records. Yeah. He actually played drums on an Adam Ant album. Right. So, what is? That? I mean, what? Is, gotta love the guy. So, hardest working man in show business. <laughs> So, yep, that, that was Live Aid, and yeah, it's been all downhill ever since. <laughs> what do you got for the 14th? What's next? July 14th, 1983, Mario Brothers is first released by Nintendo in Japan as an arcade game. The funny thing about this game is I have I had no memory of this game, Bill, until just before we recorded this show. Now, that's Mario Brothers you're talking about. Not Super Mario Brothers, Mario Brothers. No, right? this is regular. Yeah, this is just the regular Mario Brothers. And I went and watched a video of gameplay. Yep. And I was like, oh, I do remember this game. I I know I played this as a coin op as a kid. You can see like the DNA of what would become Super Mario Brothers. Yep. And it's like this weird crossover between the type of gameplay that was in Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong. Was it Donkey Kong Jr. was the one where you went from tree to from branch to branch, yes. right? Ultimately, what became a side scroller as Super Mario Brothers. Again, I remember putting coins in it and playing it, but I could not remember that game no matter what I tried. Until you saw the picture of uh, it, yeah? Until I saw until I saw the gameplay, and I was like, oh my gosh. And it's so funny to think that it wasn't that game, but it was one based on it 
that made the Nintendo Entertainment System, the home system, the premier sort of, you know, home unit and made Nintendo what Nintendo is. I'm not going to say it was the first because I'm sure there was others before that. But it was definitely one of the first that had simultaneous gameplay, like cooperative gameplay. Right. You know, uh, I mean, like Joust, you could play two with people at the same time, but that wasn't right. so much cooperative. That was that you were kind of like fighting against each other. Uh, with Mario Brothers, uh, you because you could kill one another on Joust. Right. But with Mario Brothers, you were working together as a team. Yeah. So it was one of the first that were like cooperative gameplay. Well, so anyway, it was really neat to watch, and it was really neat to hear that the trademark piece of music that's known primarily as Super Mario Brothers is also the theme music for just the opening screen of uh, Mario Brothers. Oh, it was wow. neat. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I cool. like that one. I that was that's a it gets really hard really fast. Like the first level, yeah. you're like, oh, that was pretty easy, and then the sec- by the time you get like, the second or third screen, you're like, oh, I'm dead. <laughs> I found that that's the case with all of the early Nintendo coin ops. They were de- super efficient at getting quarters out of kids and and adults alike. I, I bring this up on Facebook not all that long ago, and I'm going to bring it up right now. I'll, it, it's been so many years, but I'm going to say it. The first level of Donkey Kong, the Gerda level, is unreasonably yeah. hard. They are, it is unreasonably hard. I, I've played these games as a, a fully grown and moderately mature adult. And after I've thrown a buck 50 into these things sometimes, I'm like, why am I so bad at this? How can, how can, how can I only be playing this? It cost me 25 cents for like a minute of gameplay. I'm just, I suck at this. I don't know why. I can play games that are a million times more photorealistic and have storylines and there's like a hundred key commands that I have to use and I have to use my brain to solve problems and puzzles and shit. And oh my God, I'm dead again. I get hit by a goddamn barrel. Like I didn't time the jump right. And I just, I just yeah. suck Whatever I first got, I don't think it was an emulator. I think I just got it like as a Nintendo game. They had the Donkey Kong classics and all that. And I was like, oh yeah, I was yeah, all yeah. excited. I'm playing, you know, Donkey Kong. And like five times in a row, I just die before I even get by the first screen. And I'm like, why was this even popular? <laughs> it's so freaking yes. hard. Goddamn yeah. Nintendo. But Donkey Kong and then, you know, ultimately into Mario Brothers. I mean, that's Nintendo. I mean, there's... Right. I actually looked it up one time. How many games have Mario in I, There must be like 30. How about 200? I was That was my next yeah. guess. <laughs> yeah, there's over 200 games. So, like, yeah, technically there was two like 199 sequels to Donkey Kong. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that that's, that's counting, like, you know, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out where Mario's the uh, referee and stuff. Right, right. Yeah, well, I mean, again, you see him make appearances as opposed to it's, you're not playing him all the time. So. All right, but moving on. All right. July the 15th, 1988. One of the most boring memes in the world. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Oh, get over it. Uh, July 15th, 1988, Die Hard featuring Bruce Willis. The first of the Die Hard franchise opens up in theaters. I would argue the only good film in the Die Hard franchise. I heartfully disagree. I love every film in the Die Hard franchise with the exception of It's a Good Day to Die Hard, I think it was called. The, one, the last one, the one that took place in Russia. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I love all of them. I even love that one that was like the comeback one, uh, Live Free or Die Hard. I really like that one, too. Yep. Uh, the only one that I, I like from a storytelling perspective is the first one. Okay. Which 
I fully expected to dislike, and at the time, Bruce Willis was just making the transition into films. He had done the one with Kim Basinger, right, that we talked about, Blind Blind Date. He, like, that was kind of it, and he was still super popular on TV. He had a whole bunch of advertisements that he was doing for wine wine coolers and stuff. Right, and he had his his music thing there, Return And he had his music thing going, and then this came out, and I remember going to see it with the express expectation that it was going to be terrible. And we would be able to make fun of it in the cinema. And it was astonishingly good. It was mind-blowingly good. It's and it's and it holds up as a great action movie even today. You just said something really funny. You were like, uh, you know, from a storytelling perspective, it's a fucking action movie, Jeff. It's going bang, 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 blow up stuff, boom, boom, boom. It's an action movie. It's, I'm not looking for. Uh, <laughs> you know, a connection to the to the protagonist and exploring man's inhumanity to man. I'm just looking no, no, for... No, 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 nor am I. I'm looking for explosions. No, I, nor, nor am I. But I'm also looking for things that are, like, relatively, potentially something that a trained person could do. Where Die Hard has at least a couple of toes in the real world. A couple. One, and one or two. Die Hard 2, <laughs> bless so. Yeah, one or two. Die Hard 2, none. Live for your Die Hard... And I like Samuel L. Jackson. None. Oh, that, that one in Russia? Nope. Uh, you know? Uh, what was the third one called? Oh, Die Hard with Die a Vengeance. With a vengeance. I'm sorry. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> Again, the first one, the, it was it had just the right balance of humor and characters were interesting and the story was fast moving and it was great. Yeah, and I wasn't looking for those set pieces the same way you look for the set pieces once you get beyond and, the first and, one. And with Die Hard, with the original... It's way more quotable. I could probably spit out a dozen quotes from the first one, not so much from the others. So what's your favorite quote from Die Hard? Do you have a favorite? My favorite quote, I don't know. There's a bunch of them. I think the funniest one, because of the reaction, whenever she said, sir, this is an emergency line. It's for emergency use only. And you just hear him say from the other line, yeah, no fucking shit, lady. You think I'm ordering a pizza? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one mine is a written line is when they open the elevator and the guys the dead guys there with the ho ho yeah, ho yeah. i have a machine gun yeah. now written on oh, written the, on his and chest then just reads it out <laughs> yeah now i have a machine gun ho oh, ho ho ho, ho. <laughs> yeah that was that's a great one and um the one where the two two FBI guys and it's Michael Nerdy's like, hey, this is just like Vietnam. When they're in the helicopter, yeah. he's like, I was nine years old. So <laughs> like, that was such a funny line. Too. No, in, uh, in Die Hard 3, though, with Jer- Jeremy Irons was great in Die Hard 3. I can just hear him giving the riddle, like when I was going to say Nines of Man with 20 oh, Wives yeah. and blah, blah, blah. I can hear his voice as he's saying it over the phone to Samuel L. Jackson. I like, so. I like at the end of it, whenever uh, Bruce Willis goes... Because Jeremy Irons plays Hans Gruber's brother. brother and um, at the very, you know, towards the climax of the movie, he says to Jeremy Irons, to, uh, Bruce Willis says, you know, your brother was an asshole. And then they start laughing. He goes, oh, yes, yes, he was. You got his number. <laughs> <laughs> My only problem with Jeremy Irons in that movie was he, he, the only thing they could have done to make him like more villainous German was dress him up like a Nazi. And put him in like a and put him in like a tiger tank and have him driving around in New York City in a tiger tank. Like but again, I love the first one. And I love the impact that it had on it like this that's it it spawned a whole subgenre of action movies. Right. Uh, Under Siege with Steven Seagal, the only really good Steven Seagal movie. Yep. Where he's he's on the, the aircraft carrier. Passenger fifty seven, Wesley Snipes, 
Only good movie that's not Blade. Speed. I mean, there's tons of them oh, that have come, come out. Oh, come on. And, come no, on. But I think Speed. Speed like Speed's a good movie. It's not a great movie. I'm just saying it's one of the. It's one that comes out of this subgenre of action film. I'll put Speed in the same category as Die Hard, where you juxtapose somebody that you never thought would be good in an action movie, but yet they were. Dennis Hopper. Because Keanu... <laughs> it was the only good thing in Speed, I think. Yeah, but I mean, Keanu Reeves, and then he later went on to do The Matrix. You were like, this guy? This is Ted for Bill and well, Ted's did, Excellent Adventure. Point Break, too, which was a great yeah. action movie. So, All right, let's move on to the next day. Speaking of movies that are less well-received than their predecessors, July 16, 2001, Jurassic Park 3, which pretty much killed off the franchise for a while, uh, starring Sam Neill and William H. Macy, premieres in the U.S. It does not do well in the cinema, this film. Now, like the the three film series in the like, yeah, I don't know what you, I, I like I think of three films now in like George Lucas terms, but the first three right. films, Jurassic Park based on a Michael Crichton novel, The Lost World also based on a Michael Crichton novel, both directed by Steven Spielberg, and then Jurassic Park three directed by somebody else and directed by Carl and and not not based on a on a Michael Crichton novel. Right. Written and directed by Carl. Um, written and directed by uh, Bob from the Craft Services Company. <laughs> it's a shitty Jurassic Park movie, but it's a fantastic monster movie. It's dumb as shit. It's got nothing going on in between the monster fight scenes, but the monster fight scenes look awesome. Uh, of all the films in the series, including the new ones, uh, that I'm most likely to go back and watch is the third one. You have no straight line at all. I have no you straight have, line. Because you know. will, you, you just sat here and like, I only like the first Die Hard movie, but you know what? I do only like the first Die Hard but movie. the worst movie out of the Jurassic Park trilogy, I like it. Yeah, that's, that's my favorite. That's the one I go back to. I, like, I'll tell you why. A couple years before the Jurassic Park fi- first film came yeah. out, I bought the book. I read the book. I didn't, I'd never read Michael Crichton in any detail before. And I read the book and I loved it so much, and I was so engrossed in it. I imagined it as a movie as I was reading it. That it was so cinematic. Yep. And I finished it, and then I started it and read it again. I read it in one sitting two times. It took like 13 hours. Jeez. I friggin' always oh, so good. And then I went to the movies, and I was furiously angry at the changes that they had made to the plotting and characters and everything else that was in the book that I really liked. Was then, Jeff Goldblum like really sexy in the book, or...? <laughs> well, when he, in the book he was blonde and in the book he got killed I really liked The Lost World I bought The Lost World as soon as it came out and read it a couple of times and loved it and they did the same thing kind of with that film as they did with Jurassic Park and that pissed me off to no end when I went to see Jurassic Park 3 there was no book to read <laughs> to ruin it for me and it was just like eh, <laughs> it's great, a giant Spinosaurus fucking eating the Tyrannosaurus Rex it's a great monster fight over the last couple of years, like some scientific discoveries have come out that say that this is not at all what the Spinosaurus looked like, the habitat it lived in, the way that it hunted, or anything. But it doesn't make it any less interesting or fun a monster movie. That's a, that's what we always say: no expectations, no disappointments. It's exactly right. If you go in expecting nothing and you get anything, hey, you're you're ahead of the game. Okay. All right, we're gonna move on, and this is this kind of a tendril attached to this one too. Uh, July seventeenth, eighteen forty-two. Uh-huh. <laughs> one of our favorites one of my favorite stories here you know how we love our cryptoids over here we do uh, so yes. pictures of mermaids appear in the New York newspapers they were oh. yep they were part of an elaborate hoax uh, orchestrated by your friend of mine PT Barnum in order to draw ah. attention to his museum 
So this must be that ridiculous, the ri- pictures of the ridiculous Fiji mermaid. Yes, yeah. Yes, the little, um, what is like, looks like a capuchin monkey sewn to like what looks like a largemouth bass body. I don't yeah, even think no, no. the monkey part was actually real. It was real. I think it was like a sculpture. Although right here in my article it says it was composed of a monkey's head attached to a fish body. It was probably created yeah. in the early 1800s, yeah. I went to the International Cryptozoology Museum. That's in Maine, Never right? get that $10 back. Yeah, and they have the two, one or two Fiji mermaids, the original one there, in a glass case. It looks like something that a really deranged kid would put together, like, after they've been left at summer camp for too long. It is the least realistic thing, I imagine. They must have, like, Vaseline the shit out of the lens to take the pictures of it, to send it to the newspapers, because... It does not look like a thing that anyone would believe. We're, like, thankfully a lot more cynical now, for better or for worse. But in 1842, like, everybody fell for this. This guy, he raked in so much money with this. Well, he also kept it away from, like, I'm sure he showed it as, like, it's 30 feet away on a stage, and there's, like, pictures of it that are drawn. Right. And he has somebody who's, you know, dressed up like a, a naturalist who's like, my name is Phineas J. Naturalist, and I'm here to talk about the Fiji mermaid that we found on the coast of Fiji. <laughs> and it's like, literally, the thing's like 13 inches long, and it's really far away, so you can't tell that it's a mummified capuchin monkey stuck to a fish. Because <laughs> like, I've seen pictures of the actual Fiji mermaid. I'm looking at one right now, and I'm like, this wouldn't fool a fifth grader. If you turn that in an art class, you'd get an F. <laughs> an F for Fiji Mermaid. All right, let's move on to the end of the week. What do we got? July 18th, the most amazing day in the entire history of the world. It is National Sour Candy Day. Yes! <laughs> that begs the question, Bill. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite sour candy? To, to be honest, I'm not a huge sour candy fan. My friend Bob just like lives and dies by it. I, I, I like sour, sour gummy beers. Like the Sour Patch Kids? Yeah. Yeah, Sour Patch Kids. Yeah, I like those a lot. I will debate you on the benefits of sour candy. I think sour candies can be really good. Mm-hmm. But I have to be in the right, like, play, like a, a cinema. Like that. I'm sour, catch, pot, sour Patch Kids all day. But I don't go out of my way to get them. Yeah. I don't dislike them. I just don't reach for them either. I'm, I'm Right. I absolutely love gummy bears. Gummy bears are my favorite candy, like, ever. Because... I don't know, it's just horse hooves just have this, that deliciousness that I like so much. <laughs> they just gallop down your throat. Yeah, but yeah, but sour candy, I, I do like it. There was like those extreme ones. What were those? The, the They were like sour balls, but they were like... Yeah, so yeah I can't remember the name of them. Like Warheads, right? Wasn't that oh, what they were called? Yeah, yeah. Oh, with the, yeah. Warheads or Airheads or something like that. Uh, Airheads Airheads were, were sour taffy. Okay, that's what it was, and yeah. Warheads were the, were the hard candies. And they, they were super popular for like, I don't know, I was like, I don't know, I want to say I was around 19 or 20 years old. They were they were super duper popular and that's where you could get start getting gummy gummy worms that are sour and right. gummy bears that are sour. And I think stuff. you might want to go even back a little younger than that because I just, I remember being a kid when they had like the extreme, <laughs> like uh, atomic fireballs, right? Remember? Well, that's, see what I'm thinking is, yeah, as a kid, I'm thinking like hot, hot cinnamon candy yeah. is what I remember. But like atomic fireballs, like when you were a kid, it's like, yeah, I could do an atomic fireball, you know, you could, like it was like some sort of a challenge and they're hot, but they're not like stupid hot, you know? Yeah. It's not going to put you off the whole day, yeah. Yeah, it's not like a chocolate-covered ghost pepper or something insane <laughs> like that, you know. Hey, kids, want to die? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, like, now, like, in Japan, they have, like, the ghost pepper gummy bears. Yeah, you know what? I'm perfectly happy with the size of my manhood and don't feel like I have to prove it by not 
crying and falling <laughs> into a puddle of fire if I eat a goddamn candy. And torture candy. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly right. Who wants to eat something that is unpleasant? Yeah, here you go. What, like, what? Do you, why would you even have that? That shouldn't even be a thing. Why would you eat? Like, what? what is that? Why would you do that? All right, so let's move on to the celebrity birthdays. We have July the 12th, 1950, the second drummer for the rock band Kiss, Mr. Eric Carr. Wow, that's right. He was the guy with the fox makeup. Yes. He, uh, he was a replacement drummer for Peter Chris, arguably, you know, three or four times the drummer Peter Chris ever was. Uh, unfortunately, Eric Carr came on board just as Kiss were slipping in their popularity. Yeah. Um, his first album with Kiss was Music from the Elder. <laughs> yeah, which yeah. is okay. like, as of not, this recording. Not the best record. <laughs> Die Hard 3 of their it's, albums. Ab- it's actually not their worst, though. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. But it's still the like the only Kiss record that I think never went gold, which means it sold less than five hundred thousand yeah. uh, copies. Eric Carr uh, stayed with Kiss until he until he passed away. Right. He actually passed away the same day that Freddie Mercury died. They died on the same day, right. November twenty fourth, nineteen ninety one. Yeah, he was only he was only forty one years old. Poor guy. Yeah, he died of uh, he died of brain cancer. There's a great video on YouTube of of a, I remember the show called Kids Are People Too. I yes. think it was like a special that they used to do every now and then on no, NBC or week, something. It was a weekly show. Was it a weekly show? Yeah. And there's one where where they introduce Eric Carr. I watched it live, or I watched it when it aired. I watched it when it aired too, and I went back looking for it when I saw his birthday was this week, and I'm like, I remember watching something on TV where they brought him out, and I was like, oh my god, where's Peter Chris? What struck me was how cool Gene. We're gonna talk about Gene Simmons later, foreshadowing. How cool Gene Simmons was when asked about using pyrotechnics in their stage show and like telling the kids, like, yeah, you know what, we, you don't want to do this. We train to do this. Like, we have special safety precautions and all these things, and whatever you see us do, remember, we do this like as a job. And it was really, really cool to watch the way that they interacted with a bunch of really little kids yep every little kid was like asking questions about peter chris and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and i was just waiting for like ace Bailey to be like would you shut up about peter chris already look yeah they were remarkably professional when talking about peter chris on that show and eric carr was super duper comfortable in front of the camera yep talkative when he was asked questions and really really articulate i know several people that met him and they said he was really one of the nicest people they ever met yeah That's all I've ever read. And to their eternal shame, Rolling Stone never mentioned Eric Carr's death. Because they don't like Kiss because whatever. Because whatever. Because they're Rolling Stone magazine. All right, moving on to the 13th. Who do you got? Ah, July 13th, 1942. Han Solo himself, Harrison Ford from... Of course, from Star Wars and Indiana Jones and that movie where he says, get off my plane and kicks the guy off the plane, which is a diehard <laughs> knockoff. I'm just going to put that out there. Air Force One. It's the president is John McClane. Also did some fun stuff like early in his career with he was in uh, American Graffiti. He was in this Frisco kid with uh, Gene Wilder playing the straight man to Gene Wilder's like crazy rabbi who was going west. And he's been on all kinds of fun stuff. He was even in the Star Wars holiday special. Yes, he was. <laughs> where it looks like he was blinking out. Uh, his location because I think they had his family members <laughs> had his family members in a location under guard just to make sure that he would show up and do his part. Contractual obligations are a contractual bitch, obligation. Yeah. Oh my god! Really a cool guy. Just a you can't not like the guy. And also remember a couple of years ago he was like flying this like amateur plane and like just like crashed. He like crashed later like, like in a park or something like that. 
Yeah, it was like a World War II trainer or something that he had. Yeah. That this really sort of weird. It wasn't experimental, but it was definitely vintage. And he he was like, oh, oh Chewy, we're going down, Chewy. <laughs> yeah, it was a hobby plane. It wasn't it wasn't a plane that you fly to get somewhere. It's a plane that you right. fly for exactly. enjoyment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he didn't get hurt. Didn't hurt anybody else. So my favorite role of his is as as Deckard in Blade Runner. That's my favorite piece of anything that he's ever been in. But that's a super high bar to get over. And his, all of his other characters are compelling to watch. So moving on to the 14th, another movie star with a very long and illustrious career, none of which you have seen. <laughs> <laughs> July 14th of 1939, Sid Haig. Everybody would probably most be familiar with him as Captain Spaulding from the you know House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Reject movies there from Rob Zombie. If you look up his IMDB, it is quite extensive. Yeah, he's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah, uh, and, a, and a long, long, long career. And he isn't in just genre films. He's in other stuff, too. Like, I mean, I know him from a movie called Galaxy. Sea of Terror with, Ever, I think, Erin Moran's only movie. Yeah, it's just, I remember that because she gets her face ripped off, right? She does. That's one of the better alien knockoffs, too. But I, I remember him in that. I remember him in, like, some sci-fi TV shows. I remember him in as, like, a sometimes, a, a, like, a barely-speaking third banana character. But he's always good in everything that he's in, and he's in a lot of stuff. Yeah. He was in uh, he was in THX 1138. He was in Kill Bill. He was in another fun movie called oh, yeah. Black Mama, White Mama. <laughs> if you ever want to see a really bad remake of Night of the Living Dead, I suggest seeing the one that he's in. It's almost unwatchable. He was also in the Batman television series. Yeah. yeah, he was one of King Tut's henchmen. Right, right. Nice guy. He, you know, he died a couple of years ago, but the like the last ten years of his life, he just like lived on the autograph circuit. So right. yeah, we got to meet him a bunch of times. Really, cool, really, really cool guy. Yep. All right, next. Next up. Speaking of actors, July 15th, 1951, Jesse the Governor Ventura. Jesse the Mind Ventura. Ventura. Jesse the Body Ventura. Is, he, he, pick, pick a body part. That's probably Jesse the whatever <laughs> that body part is, Ventura. Jesse Ventura was originally primarily known as a professional wrestler yep. in the WWF. And then ended up in Hollywood. He made a terrible movie called Abraxas, a fantastic movie called Predator yes. with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And some other stuff in between. Went off to become governor of Minnesota. And then does like the Jesse Ventura's weird libertarian unexplained phenomenon shows on TV. Yeah, and he's still a political yeah. commentator, yeah. conspiracy theorist. So he's he's still out there doing stuff. He's an interesting, interesting guy. And I love to see him get interviewed because he is ridiculously smart and fantastically articulate. Very well spoken. He is crazy. Yeah. He's nuts. Yeah, he's great to watch interviewed. What's funny is like, his, like how smart and articulate he is. And then you'd yep. see him in wrestling. He got injured. He wasn't... I didn't see him wrestle too much. And I've been watching wrestling a very, very long time. I'd see him wrestle every once in a while. He had a big feud with uh, Ivan Putski. And then he got moved over to commentary. And then he left the WWF. And then they were making a ton of money off of video cassette sales and rentals. Yeah. Jesse Ventura did commentary on those videotapes and wasn't receiving like a commission from that. And right. he actually sued and won with Vince oh. McMahon. Yeah. For yeah, him. that was like a big deal at the time. Oh. All right, so July the 16th, 1952, the drummer from one of my favorite bands of all time, Mr. Stuart Copeland. He He's was... my favorite sting puncher. <laughs> yeah, he was a drummer for the police. Famously got into huge fights with Sting all the time. Yeah. I remember watching one interview on MTV 
Uh, Martha Quinn was over there interviewing him, and then Stuart Copeland right in the middle throws a big glass of water at Sting water, yeah. and runs off. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What I didn't realize again, I've I never I'd, I'd never heard of them until they were on MTV when I was a kid. Yep. And the, the very first song that I fell in love with on MTV was "Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic." Amazing song. And realizing like all of the Sting songs have that sort of Caribbean. Beat to them, yeah. which is Stuart Copeland, and he puts that in everything. I've heard it in the soundtracks that he does and stuff. That that sort of island style, right. that island style drumming that he works in. Yeah, very distinctive and a great drummer. He does he does a lot of movie soundtracks and scores now. Right, a very full career and very full life. I I have his autobiography. The police take up a very small part of it. I I always like the comment that he made, which was, "We never really broke up. I just thought we were taking a break until you know Sting wanted to go on tour again." <laughs> like, <laughs> And then, like, five years after that, they did a reunion tour, which I thought was cool. (laughs) Yeah, I get to see it. They were fantastic. Yeah, I bet they were. All right, next up. Uh, July 17th, 1935, another actor, Donald Sutherland. I'm pointing at you in horror. Doing the thing from Invasion of the Body Snatchers. He's been in a ton of stuff. Everything he's in is good, and he's good in everything that he's in, even the things that aren't that good. He's like the American Michael Caine. There's, he's never met a script he didn't like. Has been fun to watch in everything he's been in. Even from bit parts and stuff like Animal House all the way up to... Playing Jesus. He played Jesus in Johnny Got His Gun, which is an odd movie. It is definitely fantastic film based on a fantastic book yep. by Dalton Trumbo. And then he named his yes. kid Kiefer. Everybody's going to think you have a lisp when you say your name. <laughs> now on, Keefe. And wrapping up the birthdays, the beautiful and, and lovely Kristen Bell was born July 18th in the year of our Lord, 1980. She wants to build a snowman. She does. She, well, she was the voice of Anna, right? Yeah, yep. Not not the not the one that sings the song. Not Ilsa. No, she sings the Do You Want to Build a Snowman oh. song. That's Anna. Oh, okay. The, Ilsa is her sister. I've seen Frozen many times. Yeah, I don't I don't have children. <laughs> Count your blessings. I, I know Bill. every girl that I've ever met that thinks she can sing has belted out let it go. Yeah, jump out of the car while it's still moving. Uh, Kristen Bell, she started out on a to the best of my knowledge, she started out on a TV show called Veronica Mars, which was very popular. Uh, oh, on the USA yeah, Network, go. yep. I know her best from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yes. She was like the straight person. You know, she didn't really have a lot of funny she, lines. I forgot she was in that film. That's that's how funny the other actors in that yeah. film are, like, so way, weirdly over the top. Was it Russell Brand and the and Jason Segel? Right. Funny. Yeah, that, mo- that movie's fantastic. And even even though she's such a good... That's how good of a straight person she is in that movie is that you almost forget she's there. Yeah, but no, she was really good. She was a, a very hateable character. Yes. And that's what made her so funny. And, uh, I think she's married to Dak Shepard now, right? And she does his podcast with him. So. Yep. And uh, she does she does a lot of voiceovers. Not only does she do Anna from Frozen, Frozen. but she also was in Zootopia and Teen Titans Argo. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite parts about that movie was, um, it had nothing to do with her, with in forgetting Sarah Marshall, was whenever Jonah Hill... He was he made like a disc of his music for Russell Brand to listen to, and yeah. Russell Brand, you know, he just thought it was the worst song ever. What do we what do we got What do we got today in the worst song ever category? All right, the worst song ever. The subcategory today is is cover records. Cover records of songs that are outside kind of the genre that the artist who's recording the song typically plays in. I th- uh, so I think we can like rename this category to what 
what what are you thinking hey what what song is this well it's weird to hear you do that song so examples of this and again i'm not saying that these are good songs or bad songs i'm just giving you examples of songs like this so tom jones doing kiss from prince yeah um by prince is an example of like a strange cover not really tom jones's thing but there or johnny is. cash doing um, hurt or pat boone during welcome to the jungle right so weird stuff that people do <laughs> i'm laughing because erstwhile super capitalist and giant bass player who spits fire gene, gene simmons put out an album in 2001 called asshole aptly named um, on this album he includes a cover of the prodigy song firestarter <laughs> which it seems like an odd choice for gene simmons yeah because like firestarter hold on let's get it out of the way let's just play the clip See, the thing with, with Firestarter is that's not a rock song to be covered by a rock band. That's like a techno song that just so happens to have lyrics. Yeah, that's a good description of it, actually. That's a song off of the Prodigy album called Fat of the Land from 1996, yep. and it was their big, big crossover hit. Because that song is structured like a rock song, it's got a verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus, bridge all the way through. What struck me when listening to Gene Simmons do it is that he didn't do anything to, to change it at all. No, not really. Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. It, he plays it completely straight. He doesn't sound anything like Keith Flint. He sounds like, no matter what he does, it sounds like Gene, Gene Simmons. Like, he's he's immediately going to start to try and get you to buy something at Kiss.com, irrespective of what you're doing and what the lyrics of the song are. But he plays it completely straight. It's just like if he was doing karaoke. He's like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to do some karaoke tonight. Let's do let's do Firestarter, I think. I'm glad he's doing it in his, like, gene, in his demon voice. You know, he's doing it like, I'm the Firestarter. I'm glad he's not doing it in, like, his interview voice. Like, I'm the Firestarter. <laughs> I'm the Firestarter. But, yeah, listening to it, it, it sounds like a kind of a shitty cover of Firestarter. But it's not terrible. It's just unusual. It's like, yeah, what are you doing? Why is this here? And the video. Yeah. Did you see the video that he put out for it? The video is astonishingly I terrible. I love it. I didn't see all of the video because my eyes were tearing up with laughter. Oh, I was cackling. <laughs> yeah, I was laughing too. And he's, he's sort of dressed up like a, he looks like a fly guy. He's dressed up like a pimp and he's got women all over him. Right. And it, it looks like it looks like what you would see if you if 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 Gene Simmons was going to open a strip club. This it, is it what it would look like. It looks more like an early '90s rap video. It definitely <laughs> does. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's totally tone deaf and silly. But again, it's Gene Simmons, right. so I, I don't even know where the irony starts and the insanity ends. <laughs> you know, because that's like that's like who he is. Like I, I'm going to tell you right like right now. As soon as the video started, I bought right into it. I'm like, yep, th I know what I'm in for, and I'm there. Yeah. I wish I was partying with you right now, Gene. It's a fun song, and it's on a decent record. Yeah, like, uh, the songs on Asshole aren't bad at yeah, all. There's, there's a bunch of like high-powered talent on that. Album. Yeah, it, that's a thing with Gene Simmons. This solo album, um, Asshole, and the solo album that he put out in 1978 with you know with the kit with with the kiss is it's a huge who's who he always wants to like rub elbows with like other people and stuff like that like on this album it's like he's got the entire zappa family 
Like ev- everybody but Frank, I think. Yeah, he, it's before they all went to war with one another. But yeah, it's Dweezil, Ahmed, even Gale and Moon Unit all all sing back up on a song called Black Tongue and features some samples of, of Frank Zappa. Yeah, and the the main riff of that song is actually an unused Frank Zappa riff. Yeah, so very cool. It's a it's a cool record. And Firestarter, Dave Navarro plays guitar on it, which is completely unnecessary to right. have. But <laughs> like, I, I don't. It's one of those like, I, it's it's not even a novelty record. It's just like it's weird that it's there. Yep. And it's not terrible. It's just a strange choice for the what's on the rest of the album. I'm curious why he picked that song. Yeah, there's another song on there. The title track is actually a cover too. It's, yeah. It's by a. Uh, um... A less, a very lesser known band. Like they don't even have an American contract. Right. They're called. They got a great name. They're called Shirley's Temple. <laughs> that and, is a good name. Uh, yeah, their original was fantastic. If you ever happen to look look it up. Going going back to the '78 solo album, I'm looking at the liner notes of this. The people that he w- worked with on this album. I mean, just look: Joe Perry, Bob Seger, Rick Nielsen. Right. Donna Summer, Cher, even Chastity Bono. And there's rumors that he actually was trying to get in touch with the Beatles. <laughs> nice. Nice, yeah, nice, like, nice. Hey, uh, I know you guys haven't played in a while, but I'm from Kiss. It's like, who, who the bloody hell are you? Yeah. Uh, this record's got Bruce Cullick. Not a big surprise. He's been involved with Kiss stuff for forever. And um, Richie Coatson, who just, I don't know, a few months back, put out a great record with Adrian Smith. Oh, really? From Iron Maiden. Smith Coatson, yeah. They're, they're touring now and in between Maiden stuff. So. Oh, wow. There's a ton of ton of great people on this album. It's good that he picked Firestarter and didn't pick the other single that came off of Fat of the Land. I'm like, I don't know if I could have been as charitable if he had done Smack My Bitch Up. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I know we call this section like the worst song ever. It's not so much that it's a bad song. Because right. he did it so straight, it's fine. Yeah. But it's like, what are you doing? Like, who is... The, the, the good question is like, who is this song for? You know, because the Prodigy fans don't need it, and Kiss fans probably don't need it. It's like, what are you doing? Right. Yeah, I know what he's yep. doing. He's starting the fire. He's a fire starter. <laughs> Twisted fire starter. I, and I'll say this about about our worst song ever. It's like I love all these these goofy ass songs. I really do. Even the ones I don't like, I love. You know what I mean? <laughs> so. You know, when you come to listen, you're going to hear us. We'll definitely introduce it as the worst song ever, but sometimes you might get a love fest like today for Gene Simmons, one of the foundational characters in my musical repertoire from my childhood. (laughs) And still. I like it, but I I definitely recognize that it's freaking ridiculous. Yes. But we're going to wrap up the show with the answer to my trivia question. Oh, no, I forgot all about that. Which was, what is the only letter of the alphabet, the English alphabet, that is not represented in the periodic table of elements? Only letter represented, not represented in the periodic table of elements. And I know that A is there, B is there, F is there, H is there, G is there, Z is there. Right, I'm ready to start singing the, the song that goes with it. That I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of elements. And All right. It is the letter J. Is it really? I don't yep. even have an element named after me. Some, there's That's no right. Jeff. There's no Jeffrey-um? Uh, oh. nope. All right, scientists, get on the it's- get on the stick. It's periodic, right? So that could change any day now. Yeah, the letter J, coincidentally, uh, I just found this out recently. The letter J only dates back like maybe six or six hundred years, seven hundred years, six or seven years, six or seven hundred <laughs> oh, years. Yeah, six or seven years. I'm like, wow, man, I've been living a lie. Yeah, it's a fairly new letter. All right, but that's gonna wrap up the show for this week. We will see you back here in set your watches seven days. Set your calendars. Or, or whatever you can do, whatever you want, whatever whatever fills your taco. All right, say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff.
Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook and Instagram at Twibly, or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already, and tell your friends. They probably need a cool podcast to listen to as well. And if you don't like this week's episode, there'll be one next week, and it'll probably be better. <laughs>